I forgot funds on here. So those online, yeah. Welcome to City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. This is our service, and we welcome all of those who are online with us on YouTube and uh, other uh, networks. We are uh, connecting and wanting to uh, glorify Jesus in this time of Advent. I want you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, and we'll also be looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Isaiah says, but there will be no gloom. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government of, shall be upon his shoulder, as in his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us open uh, in Romans Chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, <clears throat> since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and the hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. May we be blessed at the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time as we are remembering uh, your entrance into the world. You came into the world, and because of you, the world has changed and continues to change. And we as your people cry out, Lord, come again, Lord. We're praying and, and waiting for you for your return, Lord. And as we wait for your return, Lord, may we be found faithful. May we persevere in the calling and the purpose for what you have placed us here to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. We pray. Amen and amen. Would you like a cup of tea? This is something I sometimes have to say at work, especially when there's conflict. I don't know if you've, if you're, you know, if you've kind of lived a little bit here uh, long enough, 
Uh, I know some of you are students, some of you are visiting, some of you have uh, uh, obviously grown up here, but having a cup of tea, right, culturally, sometimes that was a bit odd for me because cups of tea wasn't the thing to resolve a fight or an argument. <laughs> but it's interesting at work, uh, it is. It's an interesting way just to help people to calm down the situation. Someone's upset, something's going on, would you like a cup of tea? Let's sort this out. Let's sit down around a cuppa, one other way of saying it. And so I wish we could resolve all conflicts with a cup of tea. Really, when you think about it, I mean, it's, we don't really, really deal with the heart of an issue there. We're just kind of maybe kind of getting people to unload a little bit. But uh, yeah, in our current world, we, um, we see and witness that governments and nations tirelessly striving for peace. And there's treaties that are made and broken, conflicts persist, and in some cases, peace coexists with unresolved internal struggles. We see these things happening currently. It doesn't take much, whether you've been around for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever amount of time you've lived, you will continuously see that there's conflicts, there's problems, there's arguments, divisions of nations, whether it's uh, Europe, Latin America, North America, Asia, Africa, you see it consistently. There's just something there, there's a conflict in the heart. And sometimes there are these different approaches to it. There's the secular approach that, you know, maybe we, we need to be people of, 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 the, of, of the spirit or the well, false spirit in some senses, like we need to meditate. You know, I've had some people say, oh, if they just meditate, there'd be so much less conflict. And think, really? And so, you know, we, you know, there's this kind of new age approach sometimes, you know, some yoga or, you know, search for the inner peace. Or one person said to me, oh, you, you have to look inside. It's inside of you that you'll find this treasure where the peace is. And I think, really? Really, really? <laughs> However, these pursuits offer, uh, often lead to emptiness, deception, and really is that blind leading the blind, that darkness that, that continues. See, the true path to peace lies in the revelation that is given and found in God's Word. Seeking truth, the anchor of our understanding, is essential, and God's Word provides the firm foundation for all truth. And that's why we need to persevere in His Word. See, words have significance. They, have, they help us to comprehend the world around us. And it is good, and it is God's word that guides us to truth. Just thinking a little bit about conflict, it's one of those words, how they change as well. And then one of the kids, I, I hear them sometimes saying, I've heard it a bit before, but they say, he's got beef, he's got beef. And I was like, what? <laughs> he's got beef. Then I, I found out, obviously, he's got conflict. He's got, he want, he's got an issue, he wants to fight. So yeah, for those of you up to the contemporary language, that's a little bit, yeah. So how words change, don't they? So at, at this, this conflict means there's something deeper, an issue within us. And the Bible reveals it if, as we go through different uh, stages from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You see the conflict beginning, and I will unpack it a little bit. But I just want us to keep in mind that God has a, an answer to this. And it is in the God-man, the incarnate Jesus, His Son. We have no peace because there is conflict within us and with those around us. And the biblical reality for peace includes, first of all, a freedom from conflict between man and man, or man, between mankind. So this means individually, family, neighborhood, city, nation, and the world. And this, uh, this conflict, this, uh, this word, um, well, the, let me follow. The, the, the following thing is this freedom from conflict between man and nature. Things like disease, disasters, and death. And the other, the third one is uh, this f uh, freedom from conflict within, with, within our own mind and our heart. And that's that we know this freedom from guilt, f 
freedom from shame and freedom from anxiety. So I want this thought to be in us. All conflict in the world comes from conflict with God and remains in the world until conflict with God is removed. See, that's the, the big issue there. That's the main thing. That we, you know, people are striving for peace. Nations trying to find ways to look for peace. And yet, we as the people of God have the message of hope, the message that brings light, that changes things. As Christians, we come into the light. And it's not the conflict that we see uh, on the news and the media, even though these are terrible. But the biggest conflict we have is in our hearts. It is a conflict that we have with God. And unless that conflict with God can be removed, there will be no peace either in us or outside us. That's a strange thought, isn't it? Being an enemy of God. If you've grown up in any religious kind of setting, it's hard to think that you're an enemy of God. But the Bible reveals it very consistently that we are, without Christ, enemies then of God. That our mind and our hearts and our actions all go against Him consistently. But there is a gift, and that's the gift of peace that is in the person that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So let's look at this a little bit, the conflict within. It starts in Genesis 3, and it starts there where we see Adam and Eve, what is known as the fall, mankind separated from God because of sin. And from being at a place at, at peace with God, they preferred their own wisdom and their own way. They chose conflict with God over peace with God. Even though they were deceived, they made a choice. At the end, God gave them authority and rulership. And we can sometimes say and point the finger, well, that was them. But we are all in Adam and all in Eve in one way or another. We would have all done the same thing. We all would have taken that same step. And because of that, it ruined everything. The conflict with God has created conflict everywhere, both internal and external. When Adam and Eve sinned, they began the conflict with God and then, in, and then taking it to the world around them. Their relationships with their own souls was completely ruined. And we see it. They tried, to flick the, they tried to fix this. They tried to fix this conflict with no success. Sowing fig leaves, trying to cover themselves, trying to find the, the, a way to hide themselves from God. And we see continuously that we continue to do the same thing with our own abilities, try to cover ourselves with ways to keep away our shame and our guilt from God, never really dealing with the heart of it and failing miserably most of the time. But as we search the Scriptures and as we dig deeper, Scriptures like Colossians, it says, it says that we were alienated and hostile uh, as sinners uh, uh, doing evil. And that was what came naturally to us. Romans even, just looking at Romans and just seeing how Paul kind of just says it, you know, that there was given over to their desires, and it just went from darkness into dark and, and into evil and into sin. There is the thought that some people say, well, I'm not really a sinner. I'm not evil compared to that person on the TV that's just killed, uh, that terrorist, that rapist, that murderer, and in some way try to justify themselves in saying, I'm okay compared to others. I have, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm a good person. But compared to God's standard, we all fall short. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we cannot have peace with God because we are enemies of God in our hearts. We have this conflict. It's sown into us in our nature until Christ. And this causes that depression, that conflict with us, filled with guilt, shame, and anxiety. 
And I was looking at that text in Isaiah. It's saying that they walked in darkness, that they were in, in deep darkness, in that deepness of that place where they were lost, that Israel was completely without hope in a sense. But God's speaking to them, and near the prophet Isaiah hearing that there is a great light. And it's the beginning of this message of the, of the, of the Messiah, of the coming of Jesus Christ. God would, would be with us. He would be the one to deal with this. The conflict around that darkness continues. Everything is broken as you continue to see. And as, even just there, again, thinking about the fall with, with Genesis, God said to the woman, I surely will multiply you with pain in childbearing. And to the man he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So continual pain, continual conflict, continual striving to, to, to want to resolve things, but never really finding a way to bring it things into, into, back to its order and back to its peaceful state that can only be found in God. Adam and Eve's relationship with each other broke. And when God asked him, you know, you've eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat, they immediately begins the blame game. You know, the snake did it. And, the, and then, or the, you know, the woman that you gave me, she's the one who told me to do this. And then the woman says, well, the snake told me. And then the snake had no leg to stand on. Yeah, completely out. <laughs> and that conflict there, Adam and Eve's relationship with each other, broken. And conflicts between one another. When God asked them, where are you? In conflict with, with each other, we see this. This is a conflict that we, we see in the relationship. That conflict that we see with nations and families. All because there is this conflict that we have with God. There is no peace in us without Him. Everything is broken. It is broken within. It is broken between people. It is broken with nature. And all of nature waits for this. It also, not just us as the church, but all of creation is, is crying out, waiting for Christ to return for the church and everything to be restored to Him. We, and all of this because of, of this conflict and this division that is in our hearts towards God. All conflict in the world comes from conflict with God and remains in the world until the conflict with God is resolved. They walked in darkness. They dwelt in darkness. They were lost, but there was a great light promised. I don't ever know if you've ever been in a really dark situation, a really dark place, um, physically a dark place. Even the smallest light can be such a, an, an instrument. I don't know if, you, if you're in your bedroom, you have all the lights out. I, I remember being in a place where they had these electrical um, curtains. They closed everything off, the light completely. I'd never been somewhere so dark, but just the tiniest light from a, from a light plug meant a huge, you're like, oh, I can see where I need to go. And sometimes it is that small spark of light can begin to give a bit of hope. They needed that. The people of Israel needed to see that, that things could be restored, something could come out, that light could be seen. They had seen a light. And, and this is interesting because Isaiah would not see the fulfillment of this prophecy, yet he was faithful to what God had said to him to, to proclaim and declare. And in him we see lots of prophecies of the Messiah. We now look back and see the fulfillment in Christ Jesus. There is hope and the gift of peace in the person the God-man, Jesus, God incarnate, Jesus, God himself, will stand against the righteous judgment in Christ Jesus for us. Because of the conflict that we have, because of the separation, and if maybe looking at it in a, in, a, in a creative way in our minds, it's almost like we stand before the righteous judge, and he looks at all of, of creation and says, all have sinned, 
all fall short. If you've ever been in a court case, if you've ever had to stand in the box where you're maybe being accused of, of, of something, or have seen a crime, whether you watched it on TV or read it in a book, you see it's a very intense scene where the judge stands and looks at the, 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 the person who's being accused, and he says to them all the things that have been brought up. There's a, the, the, the prosecutor, in this sense, and then the defense. And in ways, you can almost see God standing there, like a righteous judge, and saying, everyone has sinned, all have fallen short. And yet, humanity has nothing that could say anyways. Well, I, I'm doing good works. I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a good father, or I'm trying to be a good mom, or I'm trying to be a good student. And, and it says in Scripture you know, that all our righteous works are like filthy rags, no matter how much we try to bring them out. And I'm a religious, devout person. I try my best. I, I fast, or I think none of that seems to connect. But it's like the judge himself steps down from, the, from, the, from the, his seat and stands next to the accused, as in Christ, God, man, and saying, and I will pay, and I will take all that comes against you. And you can almost, in my head, I can almost see the accuser like lost in words. <laughs> Satan thinking, what can I say? If the judge is also the defense, it's also the one who stands and forgives, and, it, and, and it's all exonerated completely, everything wiped. That is that peace that comes that we can say, God, you've dealt with all of it. Yes, past, present, and future. Stand with me. Be with me. And it's wonderful because all of Scripture kind of brings that image that we are now in Christ, that we are now seated with Him, and we can see that position. I don't know if you can see it in your mind's eye, if you can capture it in your heart, that you are now seated with Christ. And no matter how much the enemy accuses you of your past, it is forgiven. You have peace with God. That conflict has been taken. It is God who initiated it. It is God's idea. It wasn't ours. With nothing we could have thought of. It wouldn't be, no one could think of this, that God to come in and take my place, to take the cross, to die for my sins, to be, to, to, to Him Himself, to shed His blood. And it is the incarnation, God becoming man, is a difficult, sometimes theological, if you use that word, idea that stumbles many people. I know for different religions, whether Jehovah Witness, Muslim, um, and, and other religions, they cannot fathom or put together that God would become man. It just doesn't make sense to them. They said it just does not connect. Yeah, but there is no other way. None, none of us could stand before God and take the punishment, take the, 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 the death that we deserve because the wages of sin is death. None of us would be able to pay it, but God could. He lived it fully, completely, sinless. They had seen a great light. That's what that text, that we see the light, that we understand, now I can see who my Redeemer is. Now I can see who, who brings my salvation. Now I can see how this conflict in my heart and in the world and around me can be resolved. It's not just a cup of tea. It's much more than that. Jesus said, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And it was a different peace. This is the inner peace. You will never find it in yourself without Christ. No matter how much you delve into meditation or transcendence or any type of spirituality, you will never find it. There is only darkness in our hearts without Christ. The Apostle Paul also says it, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with that giving, let your requests be made to known to God, and the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts, your minds in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. And it goes over all that we can understand and comprehend. See, we are the people of peace. We are the kingdom of God. We are His people. And we bring how? In the practical sense. How do we do that? By being faithful in our marriages. By being committed in our churches. By serving one another. By forgiving. Just those small acts that show Christ's likeness. We're showing the world His righteousness, His government that endures and and remains, is is living through us and, and showing that peace. When we turn the other cheek, when we forgive our enemies, when we pray for those who come against us, when we do not hold resentment or bitterness, but give it to God, we can truly say, He is the Prince of Peace in our hearts. Christ, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6 saying, For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulders, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are His attributes. Not that people were calling. None of His disciples ever called Him Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, or Everlasting Father. But these are attributes that you and I could, can look into and truly now meditate on Word of God, not on ourselves, not on spiritual things that the world offers, but truly putting our eyes fixed and in saying, God, you are mighty. That all of this will be for your glory and your honor as we surrender and submit to you. You are the wonderful counselor. You are the one who stands for us and your people. You are the everlasting father. You are from beginning and you are the alpha and the omega. I mean, you are all time. You're eternal and you are the prince of peace. What the world desires more can only be found in you, in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. When God gives, it is always more than what we imagine and more than what we hope for. And that is what this peace brings. So what do we do? We must submit to His rule and His peace. And that word shalom, that Hebrew word shalom, that means peace also, is, is, it's a rich word of well-being, of welfare and prosperity. That we flourish as we declare that word together in our prayers as, as a community. It's the removal of conflict. And in his life and in his ministry, Jesus came to give peace, but they killed him and crucified him. But this was always God's plan to the end, to to destroy the division and the conflict that mankind had with God. See, in Romans 5.1, therefore, being justified by by, by faith, we have peace with God. This is important because it goes back to that in, in imagery again in Isaiah, also speaking to us about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, that peace that Jesus gives us upon the cross through his sacrifice and his death. In Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs, plural, he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with the wounds we are healed. By His stripes we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him, on Jesus, the sin, the iniquity of us all. God took our place in Christ, dying on the cross, taking our punishment that God placed upon mankind so to make peace with us and remove that conflict that we can truly leave and the fullness that God wants us. Therefore, we must repent, humble ourselves before God, and receive by faith the salvation that He gives us. 
Peace is found in the person of Jesus. He stands before God in our place to give us true peace, the gift that only God can give that ends all conflict within us, around us. And let us think about that as, as we enter this season, and not just one season, but as we continuously walk, remembering that He returns, remembering what His, his entrance into the world. He, he came to, to end that hostility and division and to give us a newness of life that we may be accepted and secure and, have find, and find our significance only in Him, and that we may live a life in the power of His Spirit to glorify Him and to honor His name. Only then we will find peace. You will not find it in all the luxuries of this world. You will not find it in the pursuits of money. You will not find it in the pursuits of pleasure. You will not find it in the pursuits of, of the things that are so dismal and, and weak that the world offers. You will not find it in media. You will not find it even in your education. As important as it is, the only way we find that peace is in Christ and His work. How will you eat this bread today and drink this cup peacefully with God? You will do it by embracing the gift and the substitute punishment of Jesus, the God, God who became man and our Messiah and Savior. Yes, He is our treasured substitute. He is our Prince of Peace. And we can say, Lord, no more our way, but Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice with all, Lord. T together, your church is remembering this Advent that you came and became one of us, Lord. You became and took our place. Even as an infant, as a child, as a baby, you stood in the world with us from that very beginning and without sin to live the life that we could not live so you could take the death that we could not take, that we may receive the gift of righteousness and justification by grace through faith, Lord. And we thank you for this, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. And today, we want to honor that as we take communion. Let us come to the Lord's table.